Well, we're about to start a series on the seven churches of Revelation. We are going to, uh, each of the churches, there's seven of them there, we're going to spend seven weeks praying, but this week we're going to kind of start on, I haven't seen this yet, what does that look like? All right. I like what Brett does. He does some cool stuff. So anyway, today we're going to kind of set the table. We're going to look at Revelation chapter 1 and kind of get an idea of what was going on with John, how the Spirit had interacted with John, and, what, and, and kind of the direction. Hopefully we'll be able to get a sense of what uh, the uh, seven churches are about to hear. And so I want us to um, open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to... Uh, pray right now that the Father would speak clearly through His Spirit to us. Father, just as we prayed for the children earlier, that they would hear from You, from Your Word, through those leaders that are with them, Father, I pray the same here, that You would be able to speak through me, that Your Spirit would speak clearly through me, the, the text that we're looking at, to uh, be able to challenge us or encourage us or to comfort us even as we look into your word and see um, just what is going on with John and what he is to communicate to the churches. Father, help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to each of us this morning, that we may walk out of here different than when we came in because of your truth in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, my story, uh, most of you have heard my story when I came to faith, November 21st, 1982. Uh, many of you might not have ever heard how that kind of uh, came out, what happened on November the 19th. Uh, I think some of you have heard this, but on November the 19th, it was a Friday. Uh, I am supposed to go on a date, and my date cancels on me, and all my friends are are busy doing stuff and I just have nothing to do. I turn on the television and the only thing, I remember this clearly, the only thing that was on that I was even remotely interested in and not really interested in was Hee Haw. And y'all probably don't even know what that is. It's just an old show and there's a lot of people who like it and I was not one of them. And so I turned the television off going, you know, man, what am I going to do Friday night? And I thought about going out on my own and doing some things, but something caught my attention off to the right, and there was this little green Gideon New Testament just sitting on the table next to me. I have no idea how it got there. I kind of remember where it came from. I remember visiting a campus, and this, the, the, the Gideons were there handing out Bibles on this campus, and I, I'm assuming I took one and just laid it there or something, um, but... Anyway, it happened to be there on the table, and so I did what I usually did when I was in school. Uh, in order to not have to read the whole book, I would read the last chapter of the book. And so I opened up the Bible to the last chapter, what I assumed was the last chapter, and it was the book of Revelation. I started about 7 o'clock that night until about 1 o'clock that morning, and I'm not going to lie, I did not understand much of what I read, but it scared me to death. And it was two days later in a church on Sunday morning that I was attending regularly once a week only because I could play softball on their softball team. 
They had a ministry there where they had to, these, this softball league, each church had to have two lost people on their team to play, and they had to abide by the rules and all this kind of stuff. One of those rules was go to church once a week. You could pick Wednesday night, Sunday morning, Sunday night, whichever one. You could just go to church. And I went to church once a week with my good friends who invited me to play softball with them, and I sat through those sermons, and I sat through those churches not getting much out of it, not realizing that the Spirit was working in me all that time. And I did not hear what the pastor said that morning, but I did hear what the Spirit was saying to me that morning. And so that morning is when I got saved, and it started long before I got to this book of Revelation, but this book of Revelation kind of caught my attention about, man, all these things that are, if this is true, there's some bad times coming. I want to be ready. I want to know what this is about. John here, he is, he is going to write this book of Revelation. He is encouraged to write to these seven churches and thus to all of Christianity, all of Christian mankind throughout the world, throughout the ages. But he is to write this letter to these seven churches and, and, and this first chapter is just kind of, especially these first few verses here are really just to say, I've had this experience with God. He's had me write this stuff out. Let me go back and tell you this is what I've done. This is what's happened to me. This is what's done. And so those first few verses, we really don't need to go over. I want to start in chapter, um, in chapter one, verse nine, as we get started in this book. But just think about this. John, he is, um, he has, uh, He's gone through a difficult time, all right? He's possibly the last living apostle at the time. Uh, John is on the Isle of Patmos. He's in exile on Patmos. Uh, he came to Ephesus to kind of serve the church and to serve the region there. And because, and we'll find out here in a little bit, because of what he was doing, uh, they decided, you know, you're too dangerous. We're going to put you in jail. And they sent him to Patmos. And and, and, and another thing, and this will, this, this will kind of come up, is I want us to think about, this is, uh, periodically I think of this, it's been 60 plus years since John saw Jesus crucified and resurrected. That's a long time, right? That's a, 60 plus years since he's seen that. He's been faithful. He has been faithful to his call and his direction all of these 60 plus years, and he finds himself in Patmos, and he has this encounter. Listen to what it says in verse 9. I, John, your brother, he's talking to the churches, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and the kingdom and the perseverance which are in Jesus was on the island called Patmos where the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, write a book what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. And then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like the Son of Man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like flame of fire." His feet were like the burnished bronze when it was made to glow in the furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. 
And when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. John, when he starts off writing this, he starts off by connecting with them. Now remember, he has served in Ephesus. He has served for a period of time there, and he has served that region. All right, And so he knows many of these people. He, he's familiar with the churches. He's familiar with especially Ephesus. And he says that, you know, I, John, your brother. He starts making a relational connection with them. But then he says, and, and fellow partaker. And he goes through three things that he's partaking with them. But this idea of a partaker, it's some people look at that and it's like a partner and there's some truth to that. But it even goes beyond that. It's, it's the idea of being grafted into something. All right, I, I'm not, I'm, I am no, I looked, I kind of looked it up this week and I, you know, I, I'm, boy, I just don't, I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed and so I don't get all this stuff, but grafting simply is just where they kind of take a, a, a something that's been broken or cut off and they kind of put it into something that's healthy, you know, they graft it in there, they slice it and, t- and, and do all this other stuff to it. But basically it's the idea that we are all kind of grafted together. There is a coming together of us. It's not just we're relationship. This, you know, you're like a second cousin twice to remove over there or something like that. It is a coming together. There's a spiritual bonding here. There is, and, and he says we are, we are grafted together this way in tribulation. We are grafted together in tribulation. That's not, a, you know, that's not something I want to be grafted to. That's not something that we put out there first thing on the list. Hey, y'all, listen, I come here to let y'all know that we are all going to have some tribulation and we're all going to go through it together. It's not something that you want to promote. But here he is just saying, we are fellow partakers. We are coming together. We are in tribulation. And there is going to be, we'll see in these seven letters, there is tribulation to come. And, 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 and even among the churches that, uh, the one or two churches that are doing pretty good, there is troubles coming. And he is just saying that the tribulation that is here, we are going to go through this together. We are even going through this together. Paul writes in Philippians in chapter 3, verse 10, where he says, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. The fellowship of it. Paul engaged the idea that he would go through suffering. He was expecting suffering because he was saying, if, if, if I'm going to line my will up with Jesus and people treated Jesus this way, then why wouldn't I expect them to treat me this way? And it is worth all of that in order for me to line myself up with Jesus. And so Paul was saying that, and John here is saying a similar thing, is that this idea of fellowship, this, the word there is koinonia that Paul uses. It's not a word that we use for tribulation or suffering or, or any of those things, but it is a word that is used by Paul there. It is something where by walking with Jesus, we will go through those difficult times. And so here he's saying through the tribulation or suffering, we're, we're going to go through this together. We're also partakers in the kingdom 
the partakers in the kingdom, we, he's let him to know we're not only just kind of, a, a, you know, brothers and all that, but we're also partakers grafted together into the kingdom of God. We, we see an example of this, and, and I've shared this many times in 2 Corinthians 5, where we are called ambassadors for Christ. We are ambassadors. We are representatives of the kingdom of God. That is our identity. We're not David Hutton first, second, I'm a Christian. We're not David Hutton first, second, I'm a follower of Jesus, or David Hutton and, and whatever it is I want to do. I am an ambassador. I am representing Christ. I am representing the kingdom of God. And we listen, we see that as we go out, and, and especially, especially when we, I've, I've had people who are close to me when I have said things or done things, and they go, man, that's not very Christian of you. You know, they, they've riding with me in traffic or something like that, and I, you know, all that bonehead or something like that. Well, that's not very Christian of you. They kind of point that out. They, they're showing me by saying something like that. You're not representing your kingdom very well there. And so the king, this idea that we are, we are ambassadors for Christ representing the kingdom of God is very true for all of us. But it even goes beyond that in that there is almost a bloodline of relationship that we have with Christ. He started off by saying, I'm your brother. And we see that, especially in Romans 8. I want to read to you in Romans chapter 8 here, in verses 15 through 17. And I want you to see what it says here about our relationship with the Father here. For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now listen to this. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be, be able to be glorified with him. We see here that in Romans, we are children of God. We are, we, we are part of the family of God, but we are heirs. We are heirs with Christ. And so it's not just this title we have, you're an ambassador, disconnected relationally, disconnected personally. You go over there to Russia and represent America. You go over there to Germany, represent America. You go over there to China, represent America as an ambassador of the United States. Relationally, you, we, we can fire you. We can get rid of you. We can talk bad about you. We can do whatever it is. But that's not the way the ambassador, being an ambassador of Christ is. We are grafted together relationally, brothers and sisters, co-heirs with Christ in the kingdom of God. So we not only represent it in, in a way of our identity, we are a part of it in a, relationally as well. And the third thing he says here, and, 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 and partake, uh, a fellow partaker and, and, and perseverance, which are in Jesus. This idea that we will persevere, in, we will partake of this and persevere through the suffering, through, through the representing of the kingdom of God. Wherever it is that we go, we are going to need to persevere, but we can't persevere on our own. It is in Christ Jesus that we persevere. Look at what it says right after that, which are in Jesus. I was on the island of called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. He's telling them. I am here in exile because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. 
That, that, that's, that's the only reason I'm here, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. And I am willing to be here on, for, because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I, and, and I find it interesting that these two, when, when these two phrases are brought together, it's only done in three other places here in the Bible, and they're all in Revelation. And li- listen to just what it says here in Revelation chapter 6, verse 9. When the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. Those who had been slain because of the word of God and testimony of Jesus. Look at verse, uh, another one, chapter 12, verse 17. So the dragon, which is Satan, so the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who kept the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And we see the same thing right at the end in chapter 20, verse 4. And then I saw the thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God. John here is telling them, we are partakers in this because of the testimony of Jesus and the word of God. This is, what we're, this is what we have to look forward to. The tribulation that's going to come, if we are truly representing the kingdom of God, there is going to be suffering, there is going to be difficulties, and he's going to lay it out for what's, what's going to be coming in chapters 4 through 22, uh, but, but specifically to the churches in chapters 2 and 3, when he's talking to the churches specifically to them, he's going to lay out some specific things for many of them as well. There are some tough times coming. And, 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 and here, John says that in verse 10, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He, it's, it's the Lord's day, and he is worshiping. He is there in the Spirit with God. And he heard behind him a loud voice, and it says to go and write a book about what you see. I want us to l- listen, look at that. The Revelation is filled with just imagery and symbolism and all sorts of things like that. I mean, when we read through it and you're talking about lampstands and seven seals and dragons and all of this kind of stuff, I mean, we're, the, the, it is full of symbolism and full of imagery. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, uh, and here he says, he, he, right there where he says, go and write what you see, not what I'm telling you. He didn't tell him. He said, listen, I'm going to tell you some things. I want you to write it down. He says, write a book about what you see. And these symbols mean something. As a matter of fact, one of the things we, we read in the, in the latter verses there, just to give you one example, he says that, uh, that um, the, Jesus was standing there among the lampstands, and in his right hand he had the seven stars. Well, there was an emperor at that time, Emperor Domitian, and he was a really bad dude. He, he, emperors typically waited. It, it was after they had died, and then the people around them kind of deified them. They kind of made them like God. They erected statues, and they did all sorts of things like that. And so Emperor Domitian, as he was, as, 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 as he was serving, uh, lording over uh, at that time, he, he was like saying, why should I wait until after I'm dead? Why can't I kind of be God now? And so what he did was he actually, uh, he did several things, but one of the things he did was he, he created a coin, and on one side of the coin was the head of his wife. On the other side of the coin was a world as a globe with an infant baby sitting on it, and across the scribe, the Son of God, that was his child, and around that child were seven stars, that seven stars were representing a divine nature around that child. And so Emperor Domitian was putting it out there, even on their coins, 
He is the son of God, therefore I must be God. And, he was past, and these coins were going all over the place. And no doubt as, the, as, as, as he were writing this, it was just the, the imagery here is that the, Jesus was amongst the seven lampstands and in his right hand he had the seven stars. Now Jesus is going to tell us these seven stars, what they mean. We saw, we saw what he said. The, they represent the angels of the churches. But the imagery there is that that coin saying that your child is a, is a represent, is, has a divine nature. Listen, I got that coin right here in my hand. He's not over the globe. He's not over the universe. He is not God. He is not even the son of God. There's nothing divine about this. He fits the seven stars you're talking about that represent the divine nature. They fit right here in my hand. And I can imagine that was a shot across the bow of Emperor Domitian as they were, as this book, as this letter was circulated throughout the churches. And the churches, they either got a little scared if they were politically correct and afraid of what might get out, or they were cheering them on as they were saying, yeah, you go, God. We don't know what was it. We, we really don't know as this thing. We don't see a summary of what happened after these churches received this letter and how they responded to it. But I can imagine that there was various responses there. But here he says that he heard of, uh, he was in the spirit, he heard, and he write a book about what you see and send it to these seven churches. And then there's a picture, and it paints this, this incredible picture when John turns, he says, I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands, I saw the one like the Son of Man. And he goes on and just starts, and, and think about this, 60 plus years, Jesus has been resurrected and, 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 and then eventually ascended into heaven. 60 plus years, and John sees him right now. And it says that as John saw him, he's among the lampstands, he's dressed, he's, he's, his hair is like white, his eyes are like fire, and, and all of these things about it, it says that he drops in fear. In verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man, and he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. John has heard this multiple times, right? You remember when, when, when the disciples were going across in the boat, and the storm came up, and Jesus kind of walked out there, and they all got afraid, and Jesus said, hey, Don't be afraid. Or when Jesus was with them, preparing them for the, what was coming with the crucifixion and all that kind of stuff. And he's telling them, peace I will leave with you, not like the peace of this world, but don't be afraid. There's been several times in, in, in the other Gospels where you hear uh, Jesus telling the disciples, don't be afraid. This is not the first time he's heard him say this. And I imagine knowing what had happened in the past, this brought some sense of comfort to John as he was, had his hand of Jesus lay, placed on him and just said, do not be afraid. And then just started telling him, I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. For these 60 plus years, he says, I'm still alive. I don't know, I'm, you know, I can imagine this, uh, this might have been kind of for John like it was for when you watch the Avenger movies and Captain Marvel kind of came up out of the ice uh, after years, and everybody who was well, however many years older looked at him and says, you haven't changed a bit. 
And I imagine they kind of turned around, you know, Captain Marvel looked at them and said, well, man, y'all changed a lot. And so, what did I say, Captain Marvel? My bad, Captain America. (laughs) So anyway, Captain America comes out of the ice and he sees all that. That tells you how much I pay attention to these movies. So he comes out and everybody sees him and he hasn't changed, but everything around him has changed. John is an old man. But he can remember what Jesus said to him when he was in the boat. He can remember what Jesus said to him when they were having the Lord's Supper, when he was explaining to them about what are the things to come. Do not be afraid. He goes on to say that as as he's telling them he's living forever, he's alive forevermore, and I have the keys to death. And Hades, he's telling them, he says, I, I, I have the keys, I have the power, I have the authority. No one has taken this away from me. No one can take this away from me. Nothing can take this away from me. I have the authority. He said, for the mystery of the seven stars which I saw in your right hand and the seven golden lampstands, The seven golden stars are the angels of the seven churches. Listen, the the word angels here is really just messengers. And so this is not like these spiritual beings that are going to the churches and communicating this. This is actual messengers. These are more than likely these are the pastors or elders of these churches who are going to be reading this letter to the churches as it makes its way around. And let me just say this. This letter that's going out, this this is a letter that is speaking to seven specific churches. This is not a letter that they're going to write the part to Ephesus and add chapters 4 through 22 to it and send that to Ephesus and then the part to Smyrna and just leave everything in. This is something where all the churches are going to be able to see what's going on in all the other churches. Now, how would you like to have your garbage laid out in front of the churches like he's fixing to do right here? The church at Sardis is going to be looking, man, those Ephesians, they left their first love. You know, the church in Laodicea, man, he just wants to vomit them out. You know, the other churches, as they're reading this letter, they're seeing what's going on in all the other churches and what Jesus is saying to all the churches. And there's some people who will say that this, the, these seven churches are representing seven church ages. I don't buy into that because if you look at this set, the, these seven churches, these are seven churches in that time, real churches, who are going through these seven distinct different things that are going on in their churches. In that time, and we can find the same thing in our churches today. And so to say that that is representative of seven stages or seven ages throughout church history, you know, you, you might be able to do that if you wanted to but that that, to me that is you're reading more into the text instead of letting the text speak for itself you're starting to read more because in that day and time I promise you I I would just be willing to bet they were not thinking about did the Laodicean church represent all the churches in 1900 later I don't think they were doing it I think they knew the churches in Ephesus and Sardis and Smyrna and Pergamon, Thyatira and Philadelphia and all of them. I think they knew all of it. They probably interacted with each other. They might even traveled and traded and worshiped together and did all sorts of things like that. They were, they were like an association of churches maybe that are together and, and are trying to work together to impact that kingdom. And, and I, just don't, I, I, just, I just do not think. I think these are seven specific churches with seven unique things going on that Jesus is saying, guys, we got to focus here. we got to get our act together. You've got to, you've got to 
recognize these things I'm saying to you and address them, deal with them, do something about them, and we will see what those are. But also, it's not just that he wrote to the church in Ephesus so that the Ephesians could get something out of it, but hopefully that the church in Sardis and Smyrna and Philadelphia and Laodicea, that they might even learn something from what's going on, how the church in Ephesus is being challenged. Because if at the end of every one, and we'll see this, at the end of every one of these the letters or the, the, the writings to each of the churches, at the very end of those passages, it says, and for those who have an ear, let them hear what the Spirit is saying to the churches, plural. Let them hear what the Spirit... So it's not like, okay, you're, reading to, you're talking about the Ephesians, I'm in Smyrna, I ain't paying attention. No, we're supposed to all be paying attention to what is going on here. They were all listening to what was going on here, and they were listening for what the Spirit was going to say to them through what John was writing as Jesus was speaking to him and showing him all of these things he wanted to deal with. So this is, and, 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 and just to extend that further, and this is what I really want us to walk away from here with, this means if it is meant for each of them, it is meant for us as well. We can still learn from what's going on in these seven churches. It's not just about what they are doing. It is about listening to the Spirit of God as to what is going on here and what is the Spirit saying to us individually maybe as just personal walk with God or collectively as this church and redeemer what is it he's wanting us to do what is it what is it that we need to take care of what is it that we need to address what is it that we need to be aware of it's not just to the churches individually they are all going to benefit from it and we are all we are able to benefit from this as well but he says that i have in my right hand the seven stars, and he's standing amongst the seven lampstands. And he says these lampstands, they are the churches, all right? And the, se and, and the seven stars, they are the angels, or they are the messengers. And that, and, and, and that idea of having the seven messengers in his right hand, there, again, there, there's some practical application when it comes to what Scripture has taught in the past about what the right hand of God is. We see that when Jesus, when he is, when he is exalted up to heaven, when he is up there ascended into heaven, he is what? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. That is a place of honor, is a place of authority, that is a place of power. That is what that is. It, it is not just eh, left or right, wherever you want to sit. I believe there's, there, there, there's, there's images there with the left and the right because when we see when he's separating the sheep and the goat, the sheep, you come over here to my right. Goats, you come over here to my left. And so we see that Jesus is exalted up, sitting at the right hand. But not only that, Jesus said when he's talking to the disciples in John chapter 10, when he was talking about the, you know, going, re, re, reaching, reaching out to people and all, he says, the sheep hear my voice, they hear my voice. But then he says, and no one can snatch them from my hand. No one can take them from my hand. And not only that, you've heard me quote this passage a few times in Psalm 139 where it says in verses 8, 9, or 10, somewhere in there, when it says, where, should I, where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I leave from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. 
If I rise up on the wing of a dawn and go to the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. No one can snatch us, and those of us who are in Christ, we can't get away from. His presence is everywhere. His right hand is holding us fast. And as far as this is saying, the messengers that are in his right hand, they are representative as ambassadors of Christ with his authority, with his power, and a place of honor. And we all get to sit. We are co-heirs, right? We get to sit with Jesus in a place of honor. Not in the place of Jesus, but with him. As far as these lampstands go, Jesus, he's the, we, we know that Jesus calls himself several times. He's the light of the world, that we are not to hide the light, that we are to be lights ourselves of, of his, using his light. We can't make light ourselves. It's only in his light. That, and so this lampstand is just an expression. He's standing amongst them. He is not separated from them. He is standing amongst them. And it is his light that is shining through the lampstands here, these seven churches. It is his light. If it is our light, trying to shine out into this community this is a dark dark place we cannot we cannot turn on enough light bulbs we cannot do enough good works to make it look like we're doing things that would be characterized as light and darkness or anything like that to to even create a shadow on our own it is only through Christ's light himself that we are able to make any difference of being a light ourselves in a place of darkness. And listen, I know here in America, <clears throat> we don't sense, and sometimes we do, we kind of sense that there's darkness and all that. And listen, there is. Uh, and, 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 but man, there were places in India that you could just walk by places and feel darkness. You could feel the darkness. There were places, temples and whatever that you would get near, or, or there were seasons and celebrations that would go on. You could just go outside, whether it's in North Africa or South Asia, and it was oppressive darkness you could feel. And even though we don't necessarily feel that here, I haven't felt that here, I know it's here, we still feel the darkness around us. And we are to be a light Individually, our church is to be a light in this community, and it is the light of Christ, not our light, not our good works, not what we do. It is what he does. And so in closing here, as we look through this, and John, as he's writing this, he talks about his encounter and his partnership with these churches and, the, and, being, and being grafted together with them as, as, as far as those other three areas of, uh, of tribulation and being a, being a kingdom uh, partaking in the kingdom and partaking in the perseverance. As far as all of that stuff goes, I what, what I want us to see here is that John is writing a letter to the churches and they're going to read it. All right? They're going to read it. But one of the things that I notice here, and I think this is something, especially in the Western world, we as Christians have kind of let go of many times, is that we don't trust many times what we see or what we hear. Because God still works in mysterious ways. And he, yes, they have to be in line with God's word. What we hear, if we, oh, listen, God told me that I go out and have two wives. No, that ain't what God told you to do. Because that is totally contrary to what the word of God says. All right? You may think that. You may even want that. 
You may even try to manipulate it and make that happen, but that is anti-God. It is not, it is not a part of. But we need to be sensitive to what we see not only in our minds, what we see in our minds, what we see in our hearts, and we realize we see things that are there that are not what God, God is going to point those things out, and we have to see that, we have to sense that and feel that. The Spirit, there are two authorities we have in our life, the Word of God and the presence of God. The presence of God is the Spirit that He gives us. When we come to faith, we have the Spirit of God with us, and that Spirit of God is to make clear the Word of God so that we can function and fulfill what God has called each of us to do individually and collectively. We can't do it if we just, if all we're, listen, if all we do is read this and think, man, I, okay, that's what that says, I'm going to go do it. God will lead, his spirit will lead us by his word, but we need to be sensitive to what the spirit is telling us. That's why here in seven, he, he's writing this letter to the churches, but he says seven times, for those who have an ear, let him hear what the spirit is saying to the churches. I kind of, I kind of uh, uh, an analogy I use like this is, uh, as you know, I love to go fishing. I love to fish. And, um, and, 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 and I try to go as much as I can. And I, I remember uh, when my father was teaching me how to fish and my grandfather was teaching me how to fish and, 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 and all this. And, you know, I was learning some things and, and all that. But it wasn't until, you know, I started reading stuff or I started, you know, watching fishing shows or something to, you know, learn, learn about fishing and, and how to. So I was learning a lot of tech about lures and rods and reels and weather and location and stuff like that. But something that I learned on my own was this, is that I could go to a pond or a lake or a river or someplace and I can start applying the things that I had learned. But if I don't look out on that water, if I don't listen out on that water, I might miss opportunities of being successful fishing. Because you can learn all you want about this is the good place, this is the right weather, this is the right lure, this is the right for this fish, this is the right rod and reel, this is the right time of day, and all that kind of stuff. But I have been, I have followed the rules all I could, and I've gone out there and fished and fished and fished. And as I look around, I notice there's no stirring of the water over here, but over there, there's activity. Over there, something is going on, and I've walked around that body of water to get to that part over there, and I have been successful catching fish by moving, by what I see, the ripples in the water. And, it's, and, and even when you don't see it, if you're just sensitive, I've done this, and I heard bloosh. I start looking around for where the ripples are. And so I start moving around. I start doing what I feel like. There's movement. There's activity. There's something for, for the success of that, what, that activity I'm a part of. I want to go and be a part of that where I'm going to be most successful. It's the same way with God's Word. We can learn all we want about this book. I know people who are not Christians who know this book better than me. They have studied it. They have uh, they, they've gotten degrees in religion. They, have done, they know things about this book more than me. But they have no idea who Jesus truly is. They have no idea of what God truly wants from us. It's all an academic exercise. And we have to be incredibly careful that we don't turn our life into an academic exercise of learning the rules without learning how to apply them. And the Spirit wants to do that in us as long as we are sensitive to the Spirit moving in us. Again, not contrary to the Word, but in line with what the Word is saying. 
And I believe there we will be more successful in living out this Christian life that we have by being sensitive to that spirit and what we see going on around us. Where is God at work? How can we join God wherever it is he's at work? Where, what is the spirit saying to me? What is, what is all of these things? We must be sensitive to that. And so I want to challenge us as we get ready to go into these seven messages about these seven places and these seven churches and these and listen I'm not talking about seven churches as in buildings I'm talking about seven churches of people like you and me who lived 2,000 years ago who have gone through some difficulty going through some tough times and 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 I want us to learn from them I want us to see what it is that Jesus is telling them to see what is there something that we can walk away from here so let's go into it yes reading studying but being sensitive to what the spirit says in our heart in our mind, through our ears, what we see, all of that. Let's take that all into consideration. So right now, I just want you to close your eyes as the guys come up and we get ready to close out the services. I just want you to kind of think about what, what, is it, what is it that in this message that might have challenged you? What is it that you feel like that, uh, is it an area where you, you, you have, over the years, you have just, you've just said, well, I read the Bible and I study the Bible. I just try to do what the Bible says. Have you ever just kind of stepped out in faith and, and trusted in what the Spirit might say in you? What the Spirit might lead? Listen, that's where, in all honesty, that's where true transformation takes place. Is when the Spirit begins molding us and building us up and chipping away at stuff and, and us allowing the Spirit to do what the Spirit wants in our lives. So as you pray about what we've talked about this morning, what I've shared this morning. Be sensitive to what the Spirit is saying to you and to us.